Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. starting a new series um we kind of we, we, you know it's so funny every time you finish a series you're, you're wondering did you give enough time to it right and so we literally just finished uh, our series going through the seven churches of revelation to be honest uh, I don't think seven weeks was enough. I'm like, you know what? That might be a year-long series that was just so deep and so intense. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, it's still in our hearts, but we are moving on to our summer sermon series for the next nine weeks. It'll take us into August. We have some surprise guest speakers, Pastor Andy, Pastor Danny. Also, we have our very own Catherine Catherine. She's going to be bringing the word, and so we are so excited just for what God's going to do, really a critical series. Uh, We are calling it Summer Gardens, Summer Gardens. And and I just, I guess I want to ask you, what's your favorite fruit? Like, do you have a favorite fruit? Maybe it's an apple, maybe you're an orange person, or maybe you like melons, watermelons. Uh, Really, to be honest, I've never really had a dog in the fight until I started going to the Philippines and ate some fresh mangoes. So I think many of you might like mangoes. I think it's a favorite, but really, to be honest, you would have asked me this maybe six years ago. I would have been like, well, okay, I'm not even sure. My mom used to cut up bananas and put it in Cheerios. I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, I went to the Philippines. Shout out to all of our Filipinos, friends and family out there. And I sat out there and I ate some fresh mangoes and um, I just was never the same again. It is is by far uh, uh, one of the most delicious things that I've ever tasted. You know, you ever come back and you're here in America and you're just like, oh, geez, this is terrible. This mango doesn't even come. Like, what kind of soil do we have here, you know? Um, That'll preach, amen? Uh, But nonetheless, uh, 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 you know, fruit's been called nature's candy, um, and you think about the, you know, the crisp crunch, the sweet taste, the, even the beautiful colors, right? all the senses when it comes to fruit. But here's the thing is, and my mom is a certified horticulturalist, okay? Uh, some of you might be some green thumbs in this room, but I am not. Uh, unless you're a gardener, right? Unless you plant gardens, unless you have experience with fruit trees, right? We taste and see the results, but we rarely appreciate the process that it takes to actually grow fruit. Anybody have fruit trees? Anybody fruit trees in their backyards by wave of hands? I know some of you do. And, and I know that sometimes growing fruit trees can be difficult, but, but we enjoy the result, but very rarely, just as a regular individual, like we don't think about the process. And isn't that normal with human beings in general? Like we always enjoy the results, but we very rarely look at the process. I mean, you think about the process of, of growing any plants, right? Uh, but you think about the process of producing fruit, right? There's the cultivating process, right? There's the preparing and the tilling of the ground. There's the proper irrigation and fertilization, plus protecting the garden from outside pests that want to spoil the fruit. Then there's the pruning, 
right? There's the cutting and removing of showy foliage, the weeds, the, the pulling away of the dead things that affect the tree's ability to produce. And then there's the process. And maybe that's the most frustrating thing, right? Think about it. I mean, contending with winter seasons when the tree is bare or hidden seasons when the seed is growing, but you don't see anything. I Googled uh, mangoes, good old Google. And I read that uh, from seed to tree, it requires five to eight years before it will begin to bear fruit. There's the cultivating, the pruning, there's the process. Y'all hearing me? And then there's the miraculous. You can't talk about gardening without talking about the things that are out of your control. You can't talk about producing fruit. I mean, I mean, cultivation, we can do it with our hands. Pruning, we can do it with our hands. Uh, but the miraculous is out of our control, right? I mean, think about the hidden potential inside of such a small seed. Think about the mysterious process of photosynthesis. All of the intricate things that take place because of the sun, and it reminds us that no matter how hard we try, the most important factors of growing fruit are completely out of our control. In fact, I've even read that most fruit trees need six to eight days of sun a week. Well, I mean, that's I mean, six to eight days of sun a week. I, that didn't make sense. What I'm essentially trying to say, and I didn't note take it, so it was off the top of my head, um, Trees need the sun daily, and the sun is something that is out of our control. The sun goes up and the sun goes down. This is why out of all of the illustrations the Apostle Paul could have possibly used to describe the Spirit's work inside of a genuine believer's life, he chose fruit. He chose fruit. And so for the next nine weeks, I hope that you would join us as we discuss together one of the most critical processes in the life of a genuine believer, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. And, and so for the next nine weeks, we're going to talk about the Spirit's production of fruit in the life of a genuine believer. Amen? Yeah. So with that being said, before we get into the text, can we take a moment to pray? Heavenly Father... We just thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who himself, like a seed, was buried and like a seed burst forth to bring new life. And now those of us who have put our trust and faith in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, we now, the seed has been implanted in us and the spirit of God is producing fruit and there are many in this room that are excited about the fruit. And there are some in this room that may feel discouraged, unsure, uncertain. And I pray for this message that your word would not come back void, but it would accomplish everything that it's been sent out to do. Holy Spirit, translate, illuminate this text to every heart and mind. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. 
If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, definitely love to bring the lights up for you just a little bit so you can see. Uh, We'll also have it for you here on the screen. Literally, we're going to spend nine weeks in this text. Uh, But today I have a tall task of uh, introducing the sermon series and then uh, introducing the text and then focusing on love, which could have been three sermons in itself. So I promise I'll do my best to condense this. Uh, But we are going to be in this text. Hopefully by the end of the next nine weeks, this text will be dancing and jumping and running through your mind. And maybe I would like to throw out a challenge to some of you that you would read this text throughout the summer. Maybe even memorize this text um, as we continue to go through it together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church in Galatia that has been bewitched. (laughs) Uh, They have been tricked. They have been bamboozled. Uh, uh, They believed that faith in Christ alone uh, uh, would bring them salvation. And then somebody came in and started telling them, no, it's Jesus plus works. Right, like, no, 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 it's faith in Jesus, plus you have to get circumcised. People started to come in and teach this church, and they started to believe that it wasn't just faith in Jesus, but you had to do all kinds of extra works. And so Paul spends time early on in this letter to uh, reinforce the idea that it is in faith alone, faith alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, a free gift, grace alone. And you know that for those of us that have walked through this Roman series. And, but what, like Paul normally does in his letters, he sets the doctrine straight. And then after he has the doctrine right, he then walks in practicality. Now live your life this way. In light of what you know about the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ and the, and the gift of forgiveness, now walk out accordingly. And so we're going to get into this process of what it means to walk this out accordingly. Amen. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. Let us read the word of the Lord together. The scripture says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Anybody feel that frustration? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. I need to say that a little deeper for this church. Orgies and things like these. And so notice this isn't even an exhaustive list. He says things like these, there's more. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. We're going to stop there. 
Listen, Paul is calling us to produce supernatural fruit in our supernatural, in our, actually in our natural gardens. Say that again. Paul is calling us to produce supernatural fruit, fruit beyond our ability in our natural gardens. And so how do we do that? And why is he calling us to do that? Well, let me just take some time to kind of unpack the why. Well, number one, supernatural fruit in our natural gardens, here it is, gives credibility to our witness. It lends credibility to our witness. Are you with me? Genuine faith in Jesus is evidenced by the production of fruits. Visible virtues, right? Virtues that people can taste and see. Virtues that can be clearly seen and tasted by all who encounter a life that has been compelled by the gospel and yielded to the Spirit's creative work within. The question for all of us self-proclaimed followers of Jesus must be this. Is my life attractive? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus... Maybe you're in here today and you're not following Jesus and this is your first time just really hearing this out. This question is not toward you. This is toward those in this room. I'll give you an opportunity to take a time out. This is towards you in the room who say you're followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, is my life attractive? Now, I don't mean physically, right? I don't mean your physical appearance or or your worldly possessions. I'm not talking about Instagram attractive. But does my character make people want to believe on Christ? Does my attitude and activity attract or repel people away from Jesus? Fruit. Not only does this supernatural fruit give credibility of our witness, but this might be more important, and I wrestled whether to put this first or second, but it is the evidence of our faith. It's the evidence of our faith. You see, genuine faith in Jesus is evidenced by the production of fruits. There should be a marked difference between a follower of Jesus and the rest of the world. And and this marked difference isn't so we can walk around arrogant, haughty, with our nose up in the air. No, humbly and lowly like our master Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, there should be visible things that people can taste and see that are marked differences in the life of a believer. You see, the grace of God at work in a life that has trusted Jesus, it should be transformative. It it should produce change so that the marked difference in a follower of Jesus is not just in their confession, but the expression of that confession. In fact, the expression gives credibility to the confession. So if you're not seeing change, if you're not seeing a transformative difference, then you should ask yourself, am I really in the faith? That's a dangerous question. You know, I've, in the past couple of years of being a senior pastor, I've actually had to sit with people. They attend church. They do all the outer things, right? They attend church. They serve on teams. 
And I've had to say, you know, beyond all of those works, let's talk about the transformative grace of Christ in you. Like this continual participation in sin has caused me to even go beyond the external and, and look at the heart and ask, are you genuinely in the faith? That's a tough question to ask. And, and, and it's with, I know I say this freely on the pulpit, but it's with fear and trembling because I can't judge. At the end of the day, only Christ can judge. Only you can stand before your king and only he can rightfully know and say, I knew you or I never knew you. But as your shepherd, right? As someone who God has graced me and called me to lead the flock, it is important that we ask the question, are you in the faith? Is my confession that Jesus is Lord, right? I mean, think about that confession. Jesus is what? Lord, not just friend. Not just Jesus is a good guy. Jesus is Lord. Is my confession that he is Lord genuine? Over the years, I've sat with folks, like I said, who, who said, Pastor Phil, you know, how, how do I know that I'm, that I'm really saved? Have you ever thought that? Has the insecurity of your salvation ever crept in? We're not just talking about the credibility of your witness. And we're not just talking about the evidence of your faith. But also, can I, can I make a critical addition? The evidence of your faith is not just the Spirit's work in your life through the growth of fruit. But you also know, you want to know what another evidence of your faith is? The presence of conflict. Mm. Oftentimes, there's an inner warfare going on inside of those that we disciple inside of my own heart as a pastor, inside of your own. And even the presence of warfare in you is a sign. You with me? Let, let, let me explain that. Evidence that the Spirit is at work in your life is not just growth of fruit, but also the presence of conflict. Are you currently at war? Not with your spouse, <laughs> right? Like, they'll be like, hey, man, I'm at war, right? Not, not with your siblings, not with your mom, not with your dad. Uh, are you currently at war with yourself? Let me explain. Let me explain. The Bible says that we are all born into sin. And, and, and that the works of the flesh is the product of being born into sin. And what were they? You, you saw the list, to name a few, drunkenness, jealousy, envy, idolatry, sexual immorality. Did you know when we read that list, maybe for some of you, your inclination might be to think, man, that's wicked people. But the scripture says that's normal people. The scripture says, like, that's the normative attitude. That's like our default nature. We are born in sin. We have this flesh. And as a result, these, this, this set of fleshly works, right? These are the, the normative, regular attitudes and activities of people apart from Christ. Wow. But when we trusted Jesus, come on, his spirit gave us a new nature. 
that's why the scripture says we were what? Born again. And so we were born into sin, but when we trusted in Jesus, guess what happened? We were born again, and the Spirit gave us a new nature. This new nature produces new fruit and wages war against the flesh's works. And now there's warfare taking place. There's the presence of war inside of you and what you used to give into. Come on, so the question here becomes, do you feel the battle inside? Come on, am I the only one? Is the Holy Spirit present and actively restraining your remaining flesh? Can I just say something as a Christian? We were born again, but we're not out of this flesh. And until Christ comes back and we're in glory, we'll be fighting remaining flesh. But when we said yes to Jesus, the Spirit empowered us, came inside of us, and there begins to be a warfare and a restraining going on inside of us. Do you feel the battle inside? Is the spirit present and actively restraining your remaining flesh? Or have you given up, given in, and are willfully and regularly practicing the works of the flesh? You know, before you met Christ, you did that half that list. Maybe not all the list. And it doesn't mean that you're in Christ. I don't do any of that list no more. But there's a conflict in the spirit's producing fruit and you're growing in holiness and you're walking away and, and what used to taste good don't taste good no more. Your taste buds change, right? Which is more dominant in you? The flesh's vices in verses 19 through 21 or the spirit's virtues? Or verses 22 through 23. Like these are important Questions to ask. You can see why this is probably one of the most critical summer series we've ever done. And I would invite you. I know we go out, we enjoy vacation, but I would invite you to prioritize these Sundays as best as you can. The evidence, the credibility of our faith. I mean, I can't think of anything more valuable, more important for us to to, uh, participate in a kind of fruit inspection. But there's a warning. Paul says... Unless our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy. That's heavy. And if Paul didn't put that in there, you know, and someone would have said, like, that's, that's really religious or that's really judgmental, Pastor. But Paul puts that in the text. That's not my words. It's the words of the Spirit of God inspiring the Apostle Paul. He says, unless you bear fruit, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. To say it plainly, and y'all know I'm a little edgy. If your life is not producing fruit, your flesh will drag you to hell. So wait a minute, pastor, we're saved by faith, not by works. Right, we are saved by faith. The faith is the root, and then the root produces fruit. And so if the fruit is not being produced, then we have to go to the root and discover if we're genuinely in the faith. If the, if the root doesn't produce the fruit, then we're, hip, we're hypocrites, which is why many of you left church a long time ago. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into the fruit. Oh, you guys didn't even start my timer. God bless you. You know your pastor well. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. (laughs) My sis got my back. She's off. It's all five minutes. Here we go. 
So today we're going to get into the first fruit, which is love. And you're like, wait a minute, we already got, promise you we're going to go through this. Uh, uh, um, and I'm going to manage the time well. Uh, but we are going to talk about this first fruit. And, and we have a tall task ahead of us. The, the pastors and leaders of this church are tasked to preach on one word. And so uh, we were going to do our best to make sure so that you can inspect your fruit to see if you are in the faith. I think that's a critical, critical thing. Amen? Uh, it's no accident that love is the first fruit. Now, a lot of people, scholars and commentators, people who just like to look at the scripture and talk about it, uh, they'll, they'll debate and, and many people won't, the, the, the lineup of the fruit. And I got to say, notice the fruit is singular. Pastor Roger and I were talking about this this week and he pointed it out. And, and the works of the spirit are, are plural. I can't go too deep in that. There's just so many things I got to get to. But the fruit of the spirit is this. You don't pick and choose what fruit you can have and what fruit you can't. Like, oh, I'm a patient person, but I'm not very loving, you know, or I'm a kind person, but long suffering. Uh-uh. You know, the fruit of the spirit, singular means that the Holy Spirit produces the, this cluster in you. Now, the works of the flesh, you could probably do one and not do all. But the fruit of the Spirit, all of them are to be produced in all of us. Notice the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts are plural. Some people have this gift. Some people, we're a body. We all have different gifts. And so you can get away with saying, well, I'm not just gifted in this way, right? But the fruit of the Spirit, you can't. Like, well, I'm just not a patient person. No, the Holy Spirit produces inside of all genuinely. Okay, I got to keep going. Pastor Roger, you threw that bone there and I just kept going. It's no accident that love is the first fruit, amen? Love is the chief and preeminent Christian virtue. Are you with me? Paul tells the Corinthians, now faith, hope, and love abide. He says, but the greatest of these is what? Love. In fact, all of these secondary virtues, uh, to be genuine, must, be, must flow from love. You understand that? Like it must flow from a motivation of love. Otherwise, it's all hypocrisy. Yet no word is more used and more abused. Agree? I mean, even in the church. And, and you know, I'm an I love you guy. Some of you already know this. It's kind of weird probably. You know, hey, Pastor Phil, thank you for coming. Oh, cool. I love you, bro. All right. And I take note, and I kind of, it's kind of funny now. I know people who just don't say it. And I don't take offense to it. I just know that they don't throw I love you out there. And I respect that too. Because no word is more used and more abused. Am I right? Some of you are very slow to, not just in a relationship. Even if we fight. Who said I love you first, right? <laughs> but also in any way, you just don't throw it out there because you, maybe it's been ruined or wrecked in your life or you've seen, so I get that. I'm not mad. I'm, I love you. I love you, right? I got the fruit of the spirit. What can I say? <laughs> but my point is no word is more used and abused, even in the church. It's been co-opted by song lyrics, hasn't it? It's been counterfeited on movie screens. It's been consumerized. I'm not sure if that's a word uh, by corporate greed, Yet the love that the Holy Spirit desires to produce in genuine followers of Jesus is a divine love. It's a love that is not of this world. So when we say love, please be aware of your conscious desire to look at what has been counterfeited. 
what has been co-opted, what has been consumerized. And know that I'm trying to pull you out of that love and pull you into the love of God, the out of this world, otherworldly love of Jesus. Amen. We're going to go to 1 John 4, and I'm going to go quickly, and I'm going to read through this quickly, verses 7 through 13. If you're taking notes, you can write that down and go back this week and just marinate. 1 John 4, 7 through 13. There's many love scriptures, right? There's a love scriptures in 1 Corinthians 13. You probably hear it at every wedding. God bless people who say these at those weddings, but man, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not quite sure that's the proper setting for this kind of love. It's like when you read this love, you're like, I don't know if I can live up to all that. It's a supernatural love. 1 John 4, 7 through 13 reads like this. Beloved, I love it how he even starts. Beloved, John's the lover. He loves Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. Beloved, if if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his love. Spirit, and we're just gonna stop there. I could read this entire text. Here's what we're gonna do I wanna talk about the source and quality of love, and then I'm gonna finish with the command to love. Amen? You ready for this? I feel like I've preached two sermons already. You guys are doing great. The source, and I'm also adding the seed of love. If you notice in the text, verses seven through eight, Love is from God. You see that? It's from God. And and then uh, John will say, you know, God is love. He is the source of love. He is the originator. Like if you want to know the definition, go to the one who is this source, the author, the originator. That is God. Love is not just something God expresses, right? God doesn't just love, but, but then John will go on and say, he is love. And I want, I'm going to get a little theological for a minute. It's so important. And God can't, this can't be true. God can't be love unless he's triune. God can't be love unless he's trinity. This is a little biblical theology. Real love requires an object to love. It requires relationship and reciprocation. Amen. And so a solitary being cannot love alone. But as Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have eternally existed in a community of blessing and self-giving and mutual exchange. This is why John can make the claim that God is love. Because love is baked into the very essence and nature of triune God. But here's what happens. The the Trinity determines to create. Am I right? And so creation then 
Creation is the outpouring of that divine love. God creates, this is important, not because he needs to love. God didn't create because he needs to love or to be loved. Y'all know that, right? God didn't create because he was alone and bored for eternity. I mean, if he was a solitary being, I would understand. I mean, that's a long time. But he's Trinity. He's been eternally in community, mutual exchange, beautiful, perfect, loving, self-giving. Are you with me? God didn't create because he needs to, because he had to. Creation is the overflow of God's love. So, so, so we see God creating and delighting in what he creates, and he calls it very good. And even when that creation rebels against him and is disfigured by its own sin, God still loves because God is love. And in his love, he makes a way. In his love, he makes a way to restore broken creation at great personal cost to himself. Are you with me? This is the story of the Bible. This is the good news of the gospel. God, from the overflow of his love, creates and creation rebels. And as a result, sin disfigures and dismantles creation. And then God, out of the overflow of his love, at great cost to himself, puts on flesh, enters into his creation, and he sacrifices his son to restore the thing that he loves. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's here amidst the brokenness and sin where divine love, listen, becomes embodied. Right? Creation sins and rebels and breaks. And then divine love becomes embodied. He puts on flesh. And man then begins to see love. Right? I mean, you can't see God, but when God is embodied in the Son, Jesus Christ, we are then able to see the clearest picture of God's great love. It's on the cross where God, in the person of his Son, was slaughtered. I know that's tough. On our behalf. It's here where the judgment of God, think about the cross, against our rebellion and our sin is paid in full by Jesus. This is what John calls the big word, propitiation for sin. God's own wrath appeased in God's own suffering. So that God is the ultimate source of this great love. And his son is the ultimate demonstration of this great love. And the story of this great love is the seed that gets planted in the natural gardens of our hearts and produces supernatural fruit. Jesus is the demonstration of this love. And the story of Christ's selfless, sacrificial, laying down of his life slaughtered for us, the wrath that we deserved, soaking it all upon himself, that beautiful story becomes the gospel seed. And believing in that and trusting in that and turning away from all of your fleshly works and looking to the work of Jesus, that seed is planted in these natural gardens. And the spirit germinates and and fruit begins to produce. And so God is not just the source, but the gospel is the seed. Amen? So what are the qualities of love? 
a genuine believer walks in the spirit. Amen? Amen. And the spirit empowers the genuine believer to love like the son. See that? So remember I told you I was going to pull you out of counterfeit love. All of you, when we say love, you think that last show you watched on Netflix, right? I'm going to pull you out of corporate greed, Instagram fake, Netflix counterfeited love. And we're going to look at the source of love, the demonstration of love. So what is the quality of love? Not what you've seen or heard, but what you've seen and heard in Christ Jesus. A genuine believer walks in the spirit who empowers them to love like the son. Now, this is for the pragmatists, right? So we went theologically, but just tell me what it looks like, Phil. Here we go. Fruit inspection time. What does it mean to love like Jesus? What is this spirit-empowered, supernatural fruit of love? Here it is. This is the check for us. Number one, love initiates. That's tough. Love initiates. In other words, love always goes first. I imagine while writing this, there are going to be some people today that are going to need to leave this place and probably apologize or do something. It's going to be a little awkward, but nonetheless, it's okay. Love goes first. Amen. Love is the first to forgive. Wow. Amen, Phil. Love is the first to apologize. Amen. Love is the first to lay its pride aside and make things that are wrong right. While the spirit produces love, it's the flesh that holds grudges. Come on, Christians, where you at? We're about to take communion in a minute. While the the spirit loves, it's the flesh that holds grudges. It's the flesh that gives silent treatments. Oh, yeah, I got Wow. Y'all couldn't wait to get here. How about this? It's the flesh that holds on to offenses in order to excuse its own lack of initiative. So some of you, the spirit has been calling you to initiate, but you've been holding on to the offense. And so the more you dwell on the fence, the the offense, the, the wall to initiation is built. Come on, inspect that fruit. Inspect your fruit. We should have called it that. A genuine follower of Jesus should not allow an offense to become a grudge. I mean, we get offended, but we should not allow the offense to turn into a grudge. What did John tell us? First John 4:19. We love because he first loved us. Isn't that the love of Jesus? Isn't Jesus the ultimate? Isn't God the ultimate initiator? Thank God he doesn't hold our offenses against him. He still came and put on flesh. Love initiates. Number two, we're going to go quickly here. Y'all are doing great. Love sacrifices and serves. If you're anything like me and you like comfort and convenience, that's my idol. I'm going to be honest. Comfort and convenience is my idol. I like efficiency. I like the path of least resistance. I'm just that guy. Right? Love sacrifices and serves. It calls you away from personal comforts and conveniences. Listen, it's not a supernatural fruit if it's not costing you something. You with me? This is the essence of of Christian freedom that we get so wrong in America. Right? Do you ever feel Christian freedom competing with American freedom? 
American freedom says, hey, man, like I'm going to pursue my conveniences and my comforts at the cost of others. I have the right to pursue. Christian freedom says, no, you lay, you, you're right. You have the freedom to lay your life down for the conveniences and comforts of others. No, we don't know nothing about that. We're not ready for that one. A genuine follower of Jesus dies to their wants, their needs, and their feelings. Right? Inspect your fruit. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Laying down your life. Number three, we're almost finished. Love lays down its life. Are you ready for this? With no strings attached. That's, that's probably the hardest thing. Many of us will probably sacrifice for others to a certain degree, but like at the end of the day, we need something back. But the love that the spirit produces doesn't demand reciprocation because it's not motivated by ROI, return of investment. Are we a ROI people? Come on, you work in the bay? Aren't you an ROI? I mean, the return of investment. I mean, are we hired that way? Are we given incentives that way? ROI everywhere we go. But love, true love, genuine love, supernatural love, not Netflix love, but the love of Jesus, he initiates, he lays down his life. No strings attached. All of us give expecting some kind of a return amen i mean are any of you like me even if it's a simple thank you i told this story a couple of weeks ago right i'll hold the door open for people and they don't say thank you and i'm in my flesh i'll say thank you and then somebody did it to me one day at a donut store and I re- i'm like man god i am a sinner in need of a savior somebody pulled it on me and i was like hey you know i was like oh, i do the same thing sometimes I'm in the flesh when I'm in the flesh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gotta be honest. Yeah. Right? Even a thank you is like a form of a, a currency, right? And so a lot of us, man, we'll do all these acts, but at the very least say thank you. And, and, and let me say this. It, please say thank you. It is great to show appreciation. And you are not wrong. You are not a sinner going to hell because you want appreciation. I just am using this example to say that many of us do things intending to love but the moment we don't get the reciprocation even a thank you we take what was meant to be a divine act of love and blessing we turn it to a selfish activity it's so hard it's impossible in fact as a human to sacrifice and lay down and nobody shows you appreciation no one recognizes you no one sees you Many of us struggle in relationships. We leave relationships because of that. Not our Jesus. Yet the divine love demonstrated by Christ to us is a love that continues to give, continues to bless, continues to sacrifice and lay down his life even when others show no appreciation. Could you love if it wasn't reciprocated? 
and how much of what you think is love is really just an attempt at ROI. I love what Pastor Paul Tripp said. There is never a day when you aren't called to do what is not reciprocated and to offer what has not been deserved. There is never a day when you are not called to do what is not reciprocated and to offer what has not been deserved. Romans 5, 7, 9. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God demonstrates, he shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it. You wanted nothing to do with God. You hated God's word. Maybe you didn't say I hate, some of you said I hate you God, but maybe you didn't say you hate his word, but your lifestyle was antithetical to this word. Even in that, Christ died for you. No earning, no deserving, unworthy and unable to repay, yet Jesus Christ lays his life down. And we're finishing here. The command to love. The command to love. Verse 11 in the text says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we all we also ought to love one another. See that? If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is so critical. In a world that has counterfeited love and has denigrated it to a powerless sentiment, the love that the Spirit produces in us is not so much a question of our feelings, but an act of our will. This is going to be really important. In our postmodern society, yay, postmodernism. And don't get me wrong, postmodernism, I think, has added some, interesting, uh, it added some interesting dialogue that we need to have. But nonetheless, in our postmodern society, we have elevated feelings to king. Right? I mean, feelings and emotion is supreme, right? Fact now subordinates under feeling. And here's what happens. In our postmodern society, when we've elevated feelings and emotions as supreme king, love becomes something that we can do when we feel like it. Right? Like, I'm not feeling it. And in a postmodern world where feelings are king and supreme, then guess what? The... The marital covenant no longer has any glue. It's not binding. Like when we say uh, to death do us part, we don't really mean that because we only meant, it was because we felt it, but when we don't feel it, are you with me? But our God is a covenant God. Our God is a binding God. Our God, what he says he means, he means what he says. Our God is a God of promises, unbreakable promises. Our God is a God of covenant relationship, covenant marriage. When he says, I do, it's I do. And this is the God we serve. And, and though the world may not know the beauty of that God, we know the beauty of a covenantal God who loves not when he feels like it, who loves not when you've earned it or when you deserved it or when you're feeling it in the moment, but our God has made a command and a commitment and a promise and a covenant to love you even when you're unlovable. We don't know nothing about that. 
And so the spirit produces this supernatural fruit inside of the body of Christ, inside of the Christian believer, inside of Christian marriages that say, yo, even when I don't feel like loving you, I love you because love is not just a, a, an emotional sentiment, but it is an act of my will. I choose to lay my life down. I choose. Amen. So the Bible doesn't suggest, but commands. Genuine believers in a disingenuine world to love like Jesus. And it was Jesus Christ himself who said, a new command I give to you. Y'all remember that in John to his disciples? He says, a new command. Oh, what's the new command? A new command I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. And while you were arguing about who was the greatest, I came in and put on a towel and washed your feet. A new command I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have, I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, I love this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, you see that credibility, evidence. How do we know this is a genuine church? How do we know that your confession matches your expression? By this, you will know that you are followers of Christ, that you have a supernatural Holy Spirit infused love. And if you're sitting here today and saying that this is impossible, that's actually good. I'm glad you've kind of got that. It is impossible. It's supernatural fruit in natural gardens. So, okay, well, that's the way to end this. That's not. <laughs> so, where do we start? Starts with the seed, the story, the beautiful story of Christ's love for you. It doesn't start by leaving here and trying to do better. You see that? I got to do better. I'm going to try harder. That's all you and your own works, and it's just going to be frustrating. You're going to end up in the flesh. It doesn't start with trying or doing. It starts with trusting and believing in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. That's where it starts. And then the Holy Spirit begins to produce. And then go back. Remember the garden, the frustration? There's pruning. Remember that pruning? Dead things start getting the showy foliage, right? That's getting in the way of the produce. It's, there's a cutting and a removing. There's a cultivating. You're in your scriptures. You're, you're, there's things you're doing in your own power. There's an abiding in Christ. And then there's the sun. Photosynthesis of the sun. The mystery of the Spirit's work through the sun, Jesus Christ. And that fruit begins to grow.